this year in chapel, the sermon series. ID in Christ. ID, short for identity. We look for our identity in all sorts of different places and it causes us to stumble and not live a life like we should for Christ. And so we're gonna focus on ID in Christ. So the first two verses of Ephesians, Ephesians one and, chapter one, verses one and two. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. If you have your journals, go ahead and open them up. If you do not have a journal and you would like to have a journal, we have some journals in the bookstore focused just on the book of Ephesians. So these journals are actually made a scripture journal where you can rewrite the text so it will help you memorize the text, but you can pick these journals up and you could take notes on the sermons as well, or you could get a different journal. I encourage you, as always, have a journal. In that journal, write down whoever's speaking, what the date is, the title of the message, the main points of the message, and what the Lord seems to be saying to you out of whatever the speaker's speaking on from the text of scripture. And then you look back over the course of the year on this and you're gonna see how the Lord has a theme that's developed either through our chapels or through your own life of what the Lord's trying to tell you. So I encourage you, always bring your Bible, always bring your journal, and make sure that you're taking notes. It'll help you lock in and benefit from what the speaker's saying. It's gonna help you as you look back at that as well. When you look at Ephesians 1, 1 and 2, and we start talking about identity, you have to understand that your identity affects how you perceive yourself. You also have to realize that when it comes to Christianity, your identity is not something you do because it's something that Jesus has already done. It's already been accomplished. You can't add anything to it. You can't earn it. If your identity is about something you do consistently, that flows into bad theology, which is a works-based salvation. If it's about me being able to be good enough to please God, then I'm hopeless because I can never be good enough to please God. And so one of the things we need to focus on is the fact that our identity being in Christ, he's already done it all. And so I can sit back then and I can sit back in peace and joy and being loved and relaxed and live the Christian life for him, doing everything he wants me to do, knowing that it's all okay. So I don't know where you're coming from this morning. You've been gone for the summer. Some of you, you're arriving on campus. You're trying to figure this place out. You probably think, man, these people are a little weird or this place is a little strange or I don't know about this. And some of you probably have a lump in your throat because mom and dad are gone and you've never been away from mom and dad. Some of you may have some excitement and butterflies in your stomach because you're taking algebra or calculus or some class that you're really nervous about and you're scared and worried it's not gonna go well. Some of you may just be really excited because you have a bunch of friends to play Xbox with and you gotta study too, all right? You gotta get your grades down, make sure that that's good. Some of you may have been gone for the summer and you may have stumbled. You may have got caught up in some stuff that you shouldn't have been caught up in. Today, right now, I want you to put all that stuff behind you and focus on who you are in Christ and let this year be a year where you drill deep into your identity in Jesus Christ so that you can live a life for his glory with reckless abandon pursuing him. Some of you are in this room and you wonder, does anybody really love me for me? Some of you are in this room and you're, you're kind of like, like me in high school. I always wanted to be the first person chosen when they did that awkward thing of lining up two groups. Anybody? They line up groups and they choose the teams and you always wanna be the first person chosen, right? And some of you probably were and 
we still don't like you, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> you line up all those people and you always wanna be the first chosen and some of you weren't the first chosen. Some of you weren't the second chosen. Some of you might even have been the last chosen when they were choosing between the potted plant over in the corner and you on the other side and decide which one needed to be on their team. And you're wondering, am I worth anything? Do I have value? And what the book of Ephesians is gonna tell us and gonna drill deep into us is that you not only have value, but you have value because the God of the universe, the creator of the universe has chosen you, he has predestined you, he has loved you, he has adopted you, he has forgiven you, he has redeemed you, he has given you an inheritance, he has given you the Holy Spirit to live within you, and he has great plans for you. And this is our identity. As we look through the book of Ephesians, you're gonna have first, uh, chapters one, two, and three that talk about who we are, the theology of it all, and then chapters four, five, and six that talk about how we live. Or if you're, if you're looking in the NIV or, or other translations, it talks about walking or living in certain ways, both having that same context of how we move forward. But so it's important to note, though, that we look at who we are first before we look at how we walk or how we live. So chapters four, five, and six that tell us what we should should do, we can't start with that. We can't start with the doing stuff because that becomes a works-based salvation. That becomes a legalistic box-checking list that I have to do to please God. And that puts a weight on me that I can't bear because I'm a sinful human being in need of grace and mercy at the cross. So you back up to chapters one, two, and three, and you look and it tells you who you are, and then you know who you are, and that leads to how you live your life. And living that life then comes out of joy because you love Jesus. It comes out of joy because you know your purpose and what you're supposed to do in this life. So our text here starts off. Paul, who is the author? I'm not gonna get into all those people who say he's not the author. He says he's the author in chapter one, verse one, and in chapter three, verse three. So Paul's the author. That's the end of it. It settles it. He's an apostle, an apostle, somebody who has the gospel message, a word that's frequently used in the New Testament as someone who would take the gospel around and talk about that. Paul claiming that he, like the 12, was commissioned directly from Christ. He is an apostle of Christ Jesus, not by his own choosing, not by mama's choosing, not by even the church's choosing, but he says, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. God chose him to be one of the bearers of the message of the gospel, and he delivers it to the saints. Now think about what he's saying here. You know, often I catch myself, even in my own speech, I'll, I'll pray something like, Lord, I'm just a sinner in need of grace. And, and there's some truth in that, because I once was a sinner in need of grace by faith at the cross and what Jesus has done for me. But Paul here doesn't say I'm talking to the sinners who are in Ephesus, does he? He says I'm talking to the saints who are in Ephesus. Now how is it that me with all of my wicked sinful emotions and prideful, arrogant heart, and all these things that we all have, all of this sin stuff we have, how is it that Paul is addressing us as saints? Because I'm not I'm not a saint if I look at what I do, if I look at my actions. In fact, I look at my actions sometimes and I go, Lord, why do I do things I don't wanna do and why are the things I really wanna do I don't do? I look and I feel that Romans 7 tug sometimes of who will rescue me from this wretched body of flesh. And yet Paul reminds the people that he's writing to there in Ephesus 
that you are saints. And as saints, we are only saints because we are in Christ Jesus. We have been covered by Jesus Christ. His sacrifice has then reunited us to God. And as verse 10 talks about here in the grand theme of the whole book, he's reuniting all things cosmically and locally with and through his church, reuniting all of us to Jesus Christ. And so I say to you this morning, if you have repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, no matter how messed up you may still be, no matter where you are on that sanctification process, I say to you this morning, welcome saints. Not the New Orleans saints, but saints, right? So you struggle with, am I worth anything? You're a saint. God loves you. He chose you. He predestined you. He redeemed you. He forgave you. He adopted you. You're a saint. You have value and worth because God says you have value and worth. To the saints who are in Ephesus, some translations say that this wasn't there, some of the early manuscripts. Uh, it's been accepted for church history. He probably wrote it to Ephesus to be read to a broader audience, and so that probably exp explains some of the general aspects of this particular letter. And he says to those who are faithful, and this it means to those who have trusted or put their faith in Christ Jesus, and you see the phrase there, in Christ Jesus, which I will come back to. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. These words, grace to you and peace, important words in the book of Ephesians, you see them all throughout. It begins and ends with a similar phrase. This is a greeting that Paul used often, but that doesn't mean he used it accidentally because grace and peace are important concepts theologically as we look at this because you cannot have peace with God until you have grace from God. We have sinned and rebelled against a holy God and we are in need of the grace so that we can have the peace. And here Paul in his very greeting is saying grace to you and peace and the peace comes from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So then we jump back to the phrase in Christ Jesus. Think about this. We often call ourselves Christians, right? How many times is the word Christian in the New Testament? Anybody know? Three. You were close. You were getting there. One, two. We would have gotten there right away. Three. Twice in Acts, once in First Peter. The language of the New Testament that really talks about what we are is in Christ. It's not the word Christian. We've taken the word Christian and we have so abused the word Christian that people from other countries often think that America is a Christian nation. Boy, if America is a Christian nation, the word Christian really has no meaning anymore, does it? because Christian is not what we see happening in our culture and in our society. And so perhaps we would even be better off if we just shoved the word Christian aside, not saying we can do that, but perhaps we'd be better off because it really has no meaning anymore. And the Bible talks about us being in Christ. Now being in Christ is not like you're in a toolbox or in a basket or in somebody's bedroom or something of that nature. Being in Christ is like you are abiding in him as though you are a branch connected to the tree or as though you are a vine connected to the root. We are in Christ in such a way that Christ flows through us and that us being connected with Christ is what gives us value, meaning, worth, purpose, and things to do in this life. So then all of the other identity markers that we have in life, I'm a father, I'm a preacher, I like the Steelers, 
we have a few saints in the room, so all All of the things that I may say help explain me don't define me. All of the things about you, you play the drums phenomenally. You can play the guitar, you can sing, you can play basketball, you run track, you're a cross-country runner. You're great in math. You're really good at English. You stink at math. And all of the different things that you could name. You like to read. You write beautifully. You are creative. You can design things. You shoot videos really well. All of these things that may you think define you don't really define you. They explain you. They can explain something about you. I can understand that something happened in your past that might help me understand you a little better. But what defines you is whether you are in Christ or in Adam. The New Testament looks at it this way. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Romans 5, 12, and then 18 and 19 talks to us in this way. Therefore, just as sin came through one man, who's the one man? It's not a trick question. Who's the one man? You can speak. It's okay. Who's the one man? All right, there we go. Just as it came through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. We have all sinned. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So who's the one man's obedience? Who is that? Jesus. All right, here's a good tip for you. All of the 900 whatever freshmen who are in the room. Anytime you get a question and you don't know the answer, chances are Jesus is the right answer, okay? So let's do that again. Who is the one man's obedience? Jesus. Okay. So when you think about this and you understand that the New Testament lays out in Adam or in Jesus and you understand that the words in Christ, in the Lord, in Jesus, in him, appear 164 times in Paul's letters alone, that it appears 27 times in the book of Ephesians, 13 times just in chapter one, it's indispensable to understanding salvation and who we are in the New Testament. You see the differences. In Adam, sin came into the world. In Jesus, grace was extended to all who believe. In Adam comes death. In Jesus comes life. In Adam, we are condemned. In Jesus, we experience forgiveness. In Adam, we are slaves to our sin. Even though we may think we're doing what we want to, we are so enslaved by those things that we want to do that we can't get away from those things and we actually are enslaved to them. So in Adam, we're slaves, but in Jesus, we are redeemed. That word redeemed means that we are bought with a price, the price being Jesus' life on the cross, his blood. He has purchased us and freed us. So we are no longer slaves to our sin, but we are free to live a life of joy in Christ Jesus. You are redeemed redeemed in Christ. In Adam, we're orphans with no heavenly father. In Jesus, we are adopted as sons with a relationship and an inheritance, co-heirs with Jesus Christ. In Adam, we experience rejection. In Jesus, we are loved. 
Maybe you look at yourself and you think nobody could love me. Nobody knows what goes on in my mind, in my heart. Nobody could truly love me. And I want you to know right now that you are loved. Because Jesus loves you. In Adam, we have no hope. In Jesus, our hope is secure in Christ alone. In Adam, we are born perishable. But 1 Corinthians tells us that when we are raised in Christ, we will become imperishable. In Adam, we are corrupted. But when we are raised in Christ, we will be incorruptible. In Adam, we are wretched and we are wicked. But in Jesus, we are washed white as snow through the blood of the cross. In Adam, we are depressed. But in Jesus, we are joyful. So the question that comes before us is, are you in Jesus? The starting point for all of our discussion of identity. In Adam, we were created. He was our representative. Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. That sin brought death into the world. As that sin brought death into the world, we were all born so that we are sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. And all of us in our own actions affirmed Adam's actions and we have all sinned. That sin makes us a rebel against the king. We are traitors. We are guilty of treason against the high king who created the universe. And so as traitors, as treasonous individuals, we have to be forgiven. But how can you be forgiven for treason against the God who created everything? Because if God is a just judge, he can't just look at you and say, forget about it. It's no big deal. It is a big deal that we are treasonous against the God that created us as perfect and holy and righteous. So to be the just judge, he sent Jesus that while we were yet sinners, he died for us to provide us the opportunity to repent and to accept that free gift of grace that Jesus offers on the cross. So if you're in this room and there's never been a moment that you can look at in your mind and say, I have repented of my sins and I have accepted the free gift of Jesus Christ and his grace and what he has done for me. If you have never done that, then you are still in Adam. You are all of those things that are in Adam. But this morning, there's a free gift that's extended to you where you can step across and say, I don't want to play for Team Adam anymore. I'm going to play for Team Jesus from now on. And this is not a reversible jersey where you flip it back and forth. You say, I'm going to live my life in allegiance to Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And you make that decision to say, this is it. God, I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn from the way I was going, and I'm going to go a different way, and I want to live my life in Christ Jesus, repented and forgiven, redeemed, chosen, predestined, loved, adopted into the family of God. Are you in Christ? Are you in Adam? Where are you this morning? You're going to have opportunities this whole week at Bible conference as we encounter Jesus to make a decision to follow Christ. You may be here and you may be a freshman, you may be a sophomore, you may be a junior, you may be a senior, you may be a super senior, you may be a graduate student. And perhaps you're thinking what the devil would want you to think. That's going to be really awkward if I get saved after being at Cedarville for however long. The exact opposite is true. We would rejoice with you. We would praise God right alongside you. We will walk with you. 
If you feel any tug saying to you that I need to be saved, I need to make a decision, whether it's now or whether it's later, you need to make that decision to follow Christ. That is the foundational step of being in Christ, and you can't go any deeper in the discussion until you are actually in Christ. There's some of you here. You got baggage. You need to make the decision to start well. Get rid of the baggage. You're at the starting line of the sprint of this semester, and you got a backpack full of rocks on. And those rocks are holding you back. And what I'm asking you to do right now is in your mind, visually, get rid of the backpack. Get rid of the rocks. Decide that you're going to put good disciplines in place, that you're going to live your life and pursue Christ with reckless abandon and whatever idol it is that he needs to knock out of your life. You're going to let him knock that idol out of your life and you're going to dig deep in Christ and you're going to discover your identity that frees you up to do whatever he's called you to do. That's what I'm asking you to do. So right now, we're just going to pause for a moment. We're going to have a time of prayer. Right where you're sitting, Just close your eyes and bow your head. How many of you would say to me right now, I've got some idols in my life that I need to get rid of? Just raise your hand up. How many would say, I've got some idols I need to get rid of? Okay. How many of you would say, put all your hands down. How many of you would say right now, I'm gonna make a commitment and don't raise your hand unless you're gonna do it. I'm going to make a commitment right now to live for Christ, whatever that means. To let go of my rocks, to let go of my backpack, to get rid of my idols, to kick them out. I'm going to live for Christ, and I want it to start right now. Would you raise your hand? Hands up all over the auditorium. You can put your hands down. Bible conference is coming. We'll have invitations at Bible conference, but I'm just curious. Some of you, new freshmen, you've been here, you've heard this over and over, you've heard the gospel explained now five or six times. Is there anybody in the room right now that would just say, you know what, I really need to be in Christ and I'm still in Adam. I need to repent of my sins and put my faith in Jesus Christ. Will you just raise that hand up high so I can see it? Is there anybody in here that would admit right now, you need to be saved right here today. You want to be in Christ. You want to be saved. Anybody anywhere, raise your hand up high. Okay, you can put your hands down. If you want to be saved this morning and you want to be in Christ, there's no prayer that saves you. There are no magic words or magic potions. It's not walking an altar. It's not baptism. It's the decision in your mind to say, I repent of my sins. I turn from my sins and I put my faith in Jesus Christ. You can pray that prayer in your own words right now. Lord, forgive me of my sins. I put my faith in you. I want to live my life in Christ. The Bible tells us that if you do that, you can know for sure that you have eternal life. If the Spirit convicts you, you can talk to your RAs, to your RDs, to your faculty members, to your staff members. Bible conference is coming. We will encounter Jesus afresh and anew. And if the Holy Spirit convicts you, it is my prayer that you will be saved this week at Cedarville University. Join with us as we sing praises to our great King.